You're a black woman in America, and you are invisible until you take your shirt off. Mm. Why? Because once you take your shirt off, you have you have gone against the laws of the land, and then you become not just a black woman walking, and you're powerless. But when you take your shirt off, you're powerful. ESPNW presents Be Honest with Carrie Champion. At this year's ESPNW Summit, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to meet two dynamic women who really um, spoke to my spirit. The first woman I'm going to introduce you to, uh, her name is Paulette Leapheart. Listen to this. She walked topless with her eight-year-old daughter from Biloxi, Mississippi to Washington, D.C. You ask why? Well, she was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer, and she underwent a double mastectomy. And... She said it changed her life. They took away, whoever they, that disease is, her femininity, her her womanhood. And she wanted other women to know that there was nothing to be ashamed of. And so she took this walk from Biloxi, Mississippi to Washington, D.C. to say, you are not alone. Every woman who's ever had breast cancer, you are not alone. You are still a woman. You are still beautiful. Uh, your power is not in your appearance. It's in your heart. Now, when this poet by the name of Nikki Finney heard about her story, she decided to honor her with an original poem. And this poem was, from my understanding, something that was truly an inspiration. Nikki didn't know the woman, didn't know anything about her, but read her story and said, I have to honor her with a poem. So it's two women really, truly just speaking to their creative sides and letting other women know that there's something special and significant happening here. And we were able to, a part of the ESPNW Summit Series, we were able to capture it. So I had the chance to sit down with Paulette as well as Nikki, and they were on the podcast. And it was really touching. In honor of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I want you to sit back and listen to this amazing story that Paulette was able to share And Nikki also put her take on it as well. Can you begin to tell our listeners when you first got diagnosed with breast cancer? When I was first diagnosed by the doctors, um, it was January 2014. Um, But it was God that came to me in late December, 2 o'clock in the morning, woke me up in my sleep in my dream and said that cancer was growing in my breast. I was 47 years old and I had never had a a mammogram. I have a strong family history of the disease. My mom, her mom, my aunt, my mother's baby sister passed away at 45 and my first cousin passed away at 31. With all of that, it, it, it just didn't register. You know, I was one of these women who thought, oh, it's not going to happen to me. So I never, I never took the test. I never had the mammogram. And I have such a tight relationship with God. And one of my prayers to him daily is when you whisper, I want to hear you. I don't want to miss anything you have to say to me. And he did. He whispered to me at two o'clock in the morning in my sleep. And that prompted me to go and have the mammogram done only for the mammogram to come back negative 
It, it, it didn't. The mammogram came back um, negative for the disease. But my spirit was so heavy, and I know God's voice. So I knew something was wrong. So I, I, I begged the doctor. I said, something is wrong. We have to do more testing. And he said to me, he said, um, because of your family history, we can redo the mammogram in six months. And I remember grabbing him by his hand because my spirit was so heavy. I remember grabbing him by his hand and saying, I will be dead in six months. We have to do something now. And he took me, at that point, he took me serious. And um, he said, okay, we'll send you for an ultrasound. So he did the paperwork, and I went and had the ultrasound. And it came back that I had not just cancer, but I had a, an aggressive form of breast cancer um, in my right breast. It was so aggressive and mean that it had already traveled outside of my breast, and it was in my lymph nodes. So what did you think at that moment? Did you think life was over? Did you think No, that- I, I wasn't afraid, you know, Carrie. I was not afraid. I think I was more angry. I wasn't afraid because it was I was inspired by God because I knew he wouldn't wake me up to warn me to allow this He wanted disease, to save you. Yeah, to kill me. So I never had um I never was in fear. So you you get a radical mastectomy, right? I had a double mastectomy per the doctor's request. Now that's when I lost it. Right. I was cool when he when the test came back that I had cancer growing in my breast and I was okay because like I said, I knew I I was inspired by God. I knew I was gonna be okay. I knew it wasn't gonna kill me. I was angry but I didn't I wasn't afraid. But when the doctors did the biopsy and they came back and they told him the type of cancer and because of my family history, he was like, "We just, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to need to remove both your breasts. So why did that upset you? It saved your life. I was upset because I wasn't, I, 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 I wasn't prepared to hear him say, I'm going to take both your breasts and cut them off. I just wasn't prepared for that. I was more thinking he was going to go in and remove the tumor and I go on by my life and be cute and be cute, still cute. with my breast mm-hmm. intact. Mm-hmm. So when he said remove both my breasts, it devastated me. How do you take that devastation to what you decided to do and tell our listeners what you decided to do? Cause that story was something. Well, eight months after I had the double, mastectomy without the reconstruction and I I couldn't get the reconstruction Carrie because the reconstruction doctor said it was too dangerous for me to do it because I have another disorder a blood disorder Mm. and he said if he was to give me the implants and I would go back on my blood thinners I would have some bleeding behind the implants and if that happened they would have to go in and take them out and he said I just don't want to put you through that's too much Mm. You know, so I'm not recommending it. So I lost it again. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? So what am I going to look like? Mm-hmm. Dr. Mace is going to cut my breast off and you're telling me you can't give me new ones. Mm-hmm. What does a woman look like with no breasts? Mm-hmm. I've never seen that. You know, so it was just, 
it was devastating. So I went into after my breasts were removed. Of course, I had them removed because they was trying to kill me. You know, so I had them removed, and I went into a deep depression for eight months while I was in un, undergoing treatments. I went into a, a a deep depression. After about eight months of treatment, um, I took my four young daughters, and we went to the beach in my hometown. Because that's where, you know, I grew up on that beach, and I know that beach, and that's where I can, you know, hear God. And, and I needed him because I was so low. And while I was on the beach, I heard his voice again say, take your shirt off and take pictures. And I'm looking around because the beach is loaded with people. It's Labor Day weekend. And I'm hearing the Holy Spirit tell me to take my shirt. I'm like, God, I know that <laughs> you telling me to take my shirt off. But I know his voice. So in obedience, you know, God gave me the strength to stand on the crowded beach on Labor Day weekend. I gave my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, the camera. I said, take pictures of mommy because I'm going to take my, my top off. I want you to take pictures of my, my, you know, scars. And it was almost like she was in sync. She didn't like, Mom, are you crazy? No, I'm that, that. she didn't. She just said, okay. So I knew it was God. So I took my top off. And I'm posing for my pictures, and I hear a lady yell, oh, my God, that lady took her shirt off. And then a crowd of people started crowding and staring and trying to figure out what in the world this crazy black woman doing on the beach with her top off. Then I saw women crying Mm -hmm. after they realized Mm -hmm. what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. And when I saw them crying, tears started rolling down my face. But I continued to, to stay focused on my my photo show, shoot. And uh, all of a sudden, the whole beach just exploded. People were cheering. They were clapping. And at first, I was like, what, what are they clapping about? And they were staring at me. So then I realized they were celebrating mm. my, my freedom because I was free that day. I was free. God freed me from the depression. You know, it was times where I just didn't want to breathe anymore. When your breasts have been cut away because of a radical mastectomy, there's a scar that goes one side of you to the other side of you. And Paulette decided it's time for the world to see this scar. Because for, for, for way too long, we've hidden it. We don't talk about the war that a woman's body goes through with breast cancer. Mm. And that's what she was showing, and she had her daughter there as witness. And so those are the things that I began to, like, gather in a net, if you will, about if I ever wrote a poem about Paulette, what would I talk about? I would talk about the fact that she's topless. I've never seen a grown woman walking across America without a top on. I've never seen someone so courageous to bring their daughter. I've never seen someone so outspoken and 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 being outspoken with her legs and her body moving and not holding a sign. So all of those things began to gather for me, and I began to take notes. My research, in effect, became everything she went through. Tell me how you decided to do your walk. Well, after the photo shoot on the beach, mm-hmm. we go back to the hotel, and my 12-year-old, the one that took the picture, said, Mom, put them on fa- put put the pictures on your Facebook page. And I looked at her and said, I'm not putting those pictures mm-hmm. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she said, but Mom, do you know how many lives you were saved with these pictures? And my mind immediately went back 
to the day that my reconstruction doctor said I couldn't do the reconstruction and I needed to know what I was going to look like and I couldn't find pictures anywhere I couldn't find a picture anywhere I looked not saying they weren't there I couldn't find any and I told my baby I said you know what you're right women need to see this they need to see what what it looked what having a double mastectomy and what a, a breastless chest on a, like. on a woman looks like yeah because we don't see that no so i posted the pictures and they went viral in 30 minutes all oh, people all over the world my pain had purpose of course and he showed me what that purpose was and he gave me the vision to bear my scars and walk across the country a thousand miles. So you walk from where to where? From my hometown of Biloxi, Mississippi. Oh, okay. To Capitol Hill, Washington D.C. So That's over a thousand miles. And along the way, what were people saying to you? It was amazing. It was amazing. It was people seeing me gave them life. Um. They took care of me along the way. Um, they thanked me. They thought they had problems. <laughs> You're like, I ain't got no problems. <laughs> and when they saw me, they was like, they was free. I have no problems. Here I am complaining. I thought I got problems, and I see this. I see you. You know, oh my God. Thank Who you, you. Walk with my eight year old daughter. Why? Well. It wasn't planned for me to walk with her alone. We had a crew, a film crew, actually, that was traveling, that was supposed to travel for support and to film the, the journey. But after two days uh, into the journey, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they weren't supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Bottom right, line is, right, got it. they got weren't it. supposed to go. Right. And my baby, I called her dad and her brothers and said, yeah, I got to come get Melon. I don't have the, the car, you know, so... Yeah, and she in the background. No, I'm going with you. No, and I'm crying, and I'm like, Oh God, I can't take her. So, do I go back home and and redo this? And that's when God came to me again. He said, Are you going to trust me with your half a heart mm-hmm. or with your whole heart? Mm-hmm. So my my faith was already strong. So it took a leap, and I said, Okay, God, I'm trusting you. And I took my, I went, I called my nephew that was in the area. He came and took me to get Madeline a, a jogging stroller. Okay, cool. And then you strolled. Yes. And I pushed her across the country. She walked some. Mm-hmm. She'll walk five miles. She, mm-hmm. You know, it, now she's walking 20 miles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with me. But um, I pushed her across the country. What an incredible lesson you taught her. Yes. Yes. Like, seriously, at eight years old, do mm-hmm. you understand how wise she is? She's very wise. She's wise beyond her years. Mm-hmm. She's very wise. And when they interview her and they say, well, why did you? She's like, because I didn't want to worry about my, I didn't want to be worried about my mom. I am there. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was my protector. Why do you believe she wanted to do this walk with her daughter? I don't think she wanted to. I think she had to. I think that when you are, when, when someone has told you that you have stage two breast cancer, and you might not live. And you say, okay, I've got to get a plan because I'm not going to let like this happen to me. I'm going to say, no, this is what I'm going to do to that diagnosis. Here is a black woman, topless, topless, walking along the highways 
southern highways from Mississippi to Washington, D.C., 1,034 miles with her daughter in a stroller, pushing her daughter topless in the June and May and April, blazing sunshine, pouring down rain. People are staring, stopping. Police cars are stopping her because there's a question of whether indecent exposure is happening. The law and she's done her research. You mentioned how she did her homework and she knew that it wasn't indecent exposure. Take me a little deeper into women and their breasts yes. and breast cancer and how breasts are sometimes considered inappropriate, but they are tools to feed. They are tools to for your children. Like what? Tell this me is, more about this that. Is, um, this is the, the dichotomy and, and confound nature of Western culture, that the breasts are the place, the most nurturing place on a woman's body, and yet you can't show them publicly. And this is, this is where it gets really interesting to me as a woman and also to me as a poet. So once the nipples are cut away and you have the scar and the scar tissue, you no longer are, are exposing yourself in an indecent way. Interesting. That's the law? That's the law. Who created such law? Well, now we could stay here a couple of days and talk about that. Who decides that that is the law? I bet you it wasn't a woman. I bet you it wasn't a woman. But 12 police cars, and we get into numbers here, because um, the the reporter who followed her her, was with her for the last part of this journey, and she reports there were 12 police cars from Mississippi to Washington that stopped her to say, Okay, we just want to check on you and see how you're doing and see if you're, you know, they didn't say breaking any law, but they had to ch- check her out to make sure. And she, on the side of the road with her daughter, had to educate them mm-hmm. about the laws in that state. So she says, okay, I'm in, where am I? Georgia. Georgia. This is the law in this yes, state. absolutely. I planned, she, so she planned her route based on how she knew where she wanted to get to D.C. And she, in each state that she walked through, she had to educate herself on yes, each ma'am. law. That's powerful. That's powerful. And what does that mean? A, that, that means that you are, if you're going to take a journey like that and you're going to take your daughter with you, then you have to prepare. And I don't mean prepare by making a lunch. Mm-hmm. I mean prepare because you're a black woman in America and you are invisible until you take your shirt off. Mm. Why? Because once you take your shirt off, you have, you have gone against the laws of the land. And then you become not just a black woman walking, and you're powerless, but when you take your shirt off, you're powerful. Because? Because now you've broken their, supposedly broken their law, but you really haven't. Mm. You've really embraced the law of being a human being walking for her life for 1,034 miles. What is the shame associated with breast cancer? Well, the shame associated with radical mastectomy is the loss of the breast, which means you lose your womanhood in the eyes of uh, whomever. The, whomever, but not in Paulette's eyes. And she has this, and one of the lines that, that weaves through the poem that I love is she called herself, I'm telling you some of the poem, she <laughs> called herself, she said, I'm a girly girl. She said, I'm still a girly girl, even without my breasts. Mm. And so she claims her own femininity and her own womanhood and will not be named by anyone mm. but herself. And that, 
If we could teach our daughters or ourselves to do that, not to wait for someone to uh, saint us a woman, you know, like you have now been declared, Mm -hmm. but to understand that because I woke up this morning, because I know who I am, because I come from my grandmother and my mother, and I have my just eight children, Mm -hmm. you know, I know who I am, I can stand up in that light, and I don't have to stand up in anybody else's light. Say that again, the message for women. The message for women is to not wait to be um, touched on the head or anointed or or given permission to be the woman that you need to be in this life, Mm. but to look in the mirror I mean, this is what sport is about, is to turn girls toward looking in the mirror and seeing their most genuine selves. Seeing their value. Seeing their value. Mm. And moving towards that by using your body. Who is she? What does she represent? She represents uh, life. She represents human be- a human being saying, you will not stop this life. It's going to have to take more than, than this breast cancer diagnosis to stop me. And she also represents the courage to not just do this for herself, to turn around and say, wait, Madeline's coming up. My grandmother and mother had breast cancer diagnoses. Uh, Women all over the country have have these diagnoses as well. I'm going to walk for them. So the courage to walk for herself and stand up for herself, but also to bring, in sort of the Harriet Tubman kind of way, other people to freedom. Mm -hmm. Your story is a story about how to be free. Yes. You've been giving everyone freedom. Yes. And and she described it. You're Harriet Tubman. Like you're you're leading the way, literally, like the Underground Railroad, right? So you're leading the way. Your 1,000-mile journey Mm -hmm. was leading the way and showing people how to be free. You freed people. That's what it did. And, in fact, a, a man on the beach came to me, a white guy, and he said, when I first saw you, he said, I, I thought, what the world, this mm-hmm. world coming to? He said, I didn't even notice you didn't have breasts. He just saw, he saw me take my top off. And then he said, as I studied you, um, I realized you didn't have breasts. And he said, I'm, I'm a 200-and-something-pound white man, and I'm balling, you mm-hmm. know, because it was so powerful. He said, I came to the beach with, with issues and problems. He said, because of your bravery mm-hmm. and because of your courage, it's given me the strength to go and deal with stuff that ain't not, not even a problem. Stuff I thought it, not, it don't even matters. matter. Nothing right. else matters. And he thanked me and he gave me a big bear hug. So, yes, it was it was freedom. Paulette Leapheart, ladies and gentlemen, on Be Honest. Uh, we'll play the poem uh, after the break. This is called Topless in America. It begins with an epigraph by the great poet Dr. Maya Angelou who said, Modesty is a lie. She is a girly girl born with a beautiful pelvis living in New Orleans. Two feet, two breasts, eight children, curvaceous and cute. She turns heads every day. Social works to pay the bills. Whispers to God. She's in her 40s when God whispers back that bewildering third generation stage two pummeling black woman news. It's $5,000 a month to stay alive. She loses Tata's job, house, car. The long scar on her chest runs horizontal with the horizon. She sews her eyes down the horizon's back. A hot air balloon lifts her through chemotherapy, beyond despair, arriving in Biloxi. Somewhere along the road to 50, she overhears that the pelvis 
is what makes us human. Her mother hands over black on black sneakers with an ancestral silver toe and hip silver swoosh. Her grandmother loans her a pair of loud lime green South African Baliga socks. Hit the road, daughter. The girly girl knows she doesn't need breasts to walk or breasts to be a girly girl. With both hands, she raises her blouse over her head. The sun paints her chest the same shade of girl that it did 40 years before when she was just eight and just an unknown girl on a beach, topless with breasts still sleeping in the bones curl just below her clavicle. When a black woman decides to walk topless for 1,034 miles, things get aligned. Ears line up over shoulders, shoulders over hips, hips over knees. Her spine is soon shot out of a cannon, just like the 1850 insomniac Harriet Tubman. Her nipples calibrating due north and freedom instead of sleep. When a black woman makes up her mind to walk topless for 1,034 miles, a film crew can change their mind, but a daughter's witnessing eyes are irreversible. Madeline's eight-year-old breasts are still in the deep sleep of girlhood when they leave. Just like retro girly girls back on the beach, she sets sail from Biloxi on April 30th. Her ghost nipples spin like dual compass, five miles an hour, 10 to 12 hours a day for 60 days. Topless in the sun and the driving rain, the Republic's electronic book of faces hears the news and goes neon. 10 million eyes dial in. The first of 12 police cars stop her, 12. She smiles, then she holds a class in indecent exposure alongside the road. There are no Toni Morrison benches to hold them, so they stand when they talk. Resolution, it's not illegal for her shirt to be off if her nipples are only ghosts following overhead, but not really there. On the police car radio, NPR is interviewing John Napier, paleontologist. The topic is walking. As the policemen finish up their selfie with the topless woman who can still turn ahead, they do not hear the paleontologist say this, human walking is unique. The body, step by step, teeters on the edge of catastrophe. The mother-daughter team is back on the road. The girly girl has 100 ligaments in each of her feet. Her transverse arch is the major weight-bearing bridge in her body. Her Achilles is her most critical tendon, running from her calf muscle up to the back of her heel, helping her push off with her toes and propel her body towards senators, marble halls, and the back of Madeline's stroller. With each step she takes, a new beauty shop is under construction. This one will not be designed and assembled by the chairman of the board of the Tatas. She moves one foot in front of the other, Highway 1, Highway 29, the Jefferson Davis Highway, the Warren Abernathy Road, the Blue Star Highway, the monument to the signer of the Declaration of Independence in Georgia, the Indian Mounds of North Carolina, the topless girly girl keeps an eye out for the June Jordan Expressway. What about the Audre Lorde Highway? What about the Gilder Radner Overpass? The seventh of 12 police cars pulls up alongside Madeline's stroller. In each new jurisdiction, the men and women in blue want to have a word with her, want to survey the scarred topography of her chest. 
They want answers she's patiently already given seven times before. They want to make sure there is no indecent exposure taking place on the Jefferson Davis Highway North. Another pop-up class on the same topic is held. Over and over, the girly girl explains that wanting to live is legal in every state. For 60 days, the sneering, breathtaking, rocky road exhaust of 18-wheelers coats her throat and mouth. Through dust, tar, and fumes, she passes used car lots, and she daydreams of driving the rest of the way in a canary-yellow Mustang convertible. There are strip malls, Mexican restaurants, neon motel signs advertising $20 a night rooms and 19 Holy Ghost houses leaning in with tambourine. There are deer in the woods staring as they pass. The handmaidens of 40,290 women take turns rubbing her legs down every night. Mother and daughter munch on five pounds of peaches, four pounds of plums. They talk about school and family and how different the rain feels when you cannot run inside from it. The mother and daughter train stops to read historical markers from Biloxi to Washington, D.C. The woman who has been known to turn ahead wants Madeline to know how the world was made and how it can be made differently. She does not drink enough water. It's April, it's May, it's June. The pavement moves beneath their feet. The asphalt doesn't care that she doesn't have breasts, that she do it doesn't care that Madeline is eight. The blisters, callous feet, the inside of her palms grow stones, are bloody. She keeps pushing Madeline's tiny sleeping breasts on up the road. It's a tar beach voyage. And she's determined that Madeline will not be next. The ghosts of 40,290 dead women whisper that they have voted to now take their tops off too. Solidarity forever. Mother and daughter eat Little Debbie pies and suck on firecracker popsicles that turns their lips red, white, and blue. Strangers following them on the Republic's electronic book of faces pull up alongside for selfies. Depositing small tubs of watermelon, a box of KFC, a foil bag of Chick-fil-A, another woman drops off a homemade plate made from her own dinner pots. The gravel on the road hitchhikes a ride inside their shoes. The pommeling rain turns the Jeff Davis Highway into a sliding mud pit of summer quicksand. The girly girl's breastplate, complete with horizon scar, has been staring back at the sun and the rain for 45 uncommon days. What does the world see when a black woman accustomed to being a woman and turning heads takes off her top and walks 1,034 miles across America up a highway named for the president of the Confederacy? A woman teetering on the edge of catastrophe? A girly girl with her missing ghost nipples turned tuning forks, turned toward freedom? She is a woman they cannot arrest for not having what they believe she should have in order to be called a woman. The burning summer rain sizzles on the hot asphalt. The sun bakes their two backs into a portrait of two thirsty marigolds climbing. A truck door swings open by mistake, hitting the girly girl as it passes. Pitch and roll, girly girl, get up. A woman who has refused her own catastrophe is walking across America with her daughter. Police car number 12 arrives. Madeline is asleep. Why don't they talk to each other on their Jefferson Davis blue two-way radios? Can't someone dispatch the update? 
A black woman walking topless across America is not illegal. The girly girl's pelvis evolved 1.9 million years ago. This noble, soldered saddle of bones is what makes us stand upright, helps us change direction, spin, swivel, adjust, reach, reconfigure. When we find we need to march on and not crumble, the long column of our human body requires the marvel of the pelvis to conduct when all else fails. The missing tatas are not what matter. The pelvis matters. The dead women of the chorus of breast cancer matter. God finding the girly girl on the beach and whispering, go topless in her ear matters. Her mind is 1,034 miles away on the marble steps of Congress waiting for the rest of her body to arrive. She talks to herself as she walks. Maybe she says this, dear Senator, You don't know me, but my pelvis is 1.9 million years old and 60,290 women with pelvises just like mine received a new breast cancer diagnosis in 2015 and 40,290 died of the disease. I would like a minute of your time, please. I did not fly here. My testimony was not subpoenaed. I am not the kind of woman to bear all, but I have walked topless 1,034 miles to show what I will not let you hide. When her breasts were cut away, she decided to travel light. She packed nothing of excess, only essentials, firecracker popsicles, peaches, intact pelvis, sweet oil of Madeline, three changes of clothing, a cell phone, a stroller, and her daily dear God. Her prayers fueled by the power of electrolytes and the salt and pepper kindness of strangers In the blazing summer sun and the sweet Georgia peaches go down easy in the warmth of mother-daughter mouths. You can still be alive without your breasts, she says. I'm still beautiful, she says. The girly girl proclaims, I am certainly no less a woman. The woman who can still turn ahead is showing the world how a woman's body looks when war has been declared. The look of more than catastrophe. How the curve of the human spine will absorb the sad shock of news it did not want to hear. The magic of bipedal locomotion and strong knees when we stand it up against the torrents of this life, making us hold out our arms and say, walk. The breastless body in full sail, moving the wheels of the determined mind, the orchestra of the pelvis singing from the hymnal of courage, page 24 through 29, what it means to be a woman and opening a new beauty shop without permit, no license, and no permission. The birthday sunrise of the girly girl arrives. She's 50 years old and it's June 30th. She pushes Madeline Stroller past Quantico, the Pentagon, the 14th Street Bridge, the steps of the Capitol see her coming. Madeline stands up and she is holding her mother's hand. And the girly girl says this, Senator, thank you for seeing me. Popsicle, peach, what say you about a cure?